Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Hey, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of 1 Samuel. And, you know, what if I told you that this book would contain many heroes of the faith that we could look to and say, I'd want to model that. And what if I told you there was one particular individual who would be considered one of God's greatest men? He'd, in fact, be given the title of man after God's own heart. What was his name? David. You've all passed the test. And, you know, we've been talking about David, and David was anointed to be king over Israel, but he wasn't put in place yet, because how many of you know, just because there's an anointing, that doesn't mean there's an appointing. Just because God has called you to do something, doesn't mean that God has called you to do it now. In fact, there's what's called a waiting period. We'll call it a gap. There's a gap between the promise and the fulfillment. And, and in between the promise and the fulfillment, that is a tough place. Can I get an amen? That is a, in fact, tell the person next to you, I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to be in the gap between promise and fulfillment. But it's in the promise and, and in the gap between promise and fulfillment that God is doing something, right? That, that waiting period is essential. My dad talked about it last, last week. That waiting period is teaching us a few things. It's producing patience, which, Lord, we know we need a lot of that. It's teaching us uh, productivity and what that looks like. It's showing us the provisions of God. These are all the points that my dad said last week. If you were taking notes like me, you would know what they were. And then the fourth one was that we have to look beyond ourselves and say, God, in this waiting season, perhaps there is somebody that you could, you could, you're calling me to help who's also in this. So to not be selfish in the waiting season. You see, David is presented now with um, a challenge. In the waiting season, which I know we jumped to 1 Samuel 18 last week, so we're going we're to bring it back to 1 Samuel 17. In the waiting season, he, he's presented with a challenge because, you see, his father said, I need you to go to your brothers. I need you to bring him food. Now, his brothers were where? On the, on the battlefield. And it was then in that moment where David showed up to the battlefield where he heard of a champion by the name of Goliath. Two for two today. We're doing good. It was there that he would hear of a giant by the name of Goliath. How, how would he respond? What would he do? You know, I was in the pool yesterday with a bunch of my nephews and nieces, and they just like to jump on me and throw me underwater. And I was like, man, I was tortured when I was a kid. Now I'm getting tortured as an adult. And I was sitting there talking to one of them. Her name's Harper. She's seven years old, and she had this big sword in, in the pool. And I was like, hey, can I have that? She's like, no. You selfish kid, give me that source. She said, I said, I need it for a sermon illustration tomorrow because I'm preaching on David. She said, oh, I like David. I'm like, you know about David? She's like, yeah. I was like, do you know the story of David and the giant? And she said, yeah, I love that story. I said, do you know his name? She said, Goliath. And I was like, wow, you're pretty smart. You must be a pastor's kid. <laughs> she is. And I was like, do you know what happened? She's like, yeah, David killed Goliath. And I'm like, do you know how he did it? With a, with a what? With a, with a stone. And I was like, wow, and what happened after that? She's like, he died. And I'm like, no, what, what happened after that? She's like, I don't know. And I said, he took his sword, Goliath's sword, and he cut off his head. And then he lifted up his head, and she's like, that's disgusting. And I said, sweetheart, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. Hey, if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, The Giant Will Fall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God. We are so honored to be in your presence. Lord, I know there are many people here today who are probably hurting, who are probably broken, who have probably a lot of questions, and they certainly know this story, and they're asking, how is this story going to change my life today? Well, God, it doesn't matter the story we preach. All that matters is we preach your word, and we know that that can change. And so I pray for open hearts this morning, open minds this morning, as we discuss a story that many of us have heard since we were little kids. And as always, God, would it challenge us to be better? Would this moment, this story in history, would it shape us and help us live the life that you have intended for us to live? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Tell the person next to you, get ready. Get ready. And if you're concerned about um, my shirt, uh, just uh, I had somebody said, I know that's David, but they didn't have um, 
gum back in the day. Well, um, this may make some sense as I preach this a little bit, okay? Um, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I know you might be asking, why, have not you, why haven't you read any scripture yet? Because I always read scripture up front, but we're going to read a lot of scripture, okay? So we're going to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 17. How many of you know that the challenges that you're presented with might be opportunities for God to use you and how you respond and so people could see the God in you, right? Your response says a lot about who you believe in. Your response says a lot about how much you believe and who you believe in. And I just wonder if our response has been a great witness or our response has been a poor witness. In fact, my wife and I are walking through something little right now with an individual who they don't deserve kindness, they don't deserve grace, they don't deserve forgiveness, but unfortunately I'm a pastor and, and a believer, and so that's what they're going to get. But we've been praying, and I said, God, we don't really want to be in this situation right now, but what I am praying is that you would, you would allow us to be an example, that you would allow us to respond differently than anybody else, that you would get the glory, and this individual would see and taste the glory. So, so that's, what, that's what we've been praying. But David is presented with a challenge here, and the challenge, in fact, started long before Goliath. And so let me kind of set up the scene before we get to 1 Samuel 17, and this is kind of the latter half of 1 Samuel 16. A servant of Saul approaches David and says, uh, David, um, our king is in torment, and we need somebody who is a musician. We got any musicians in the house? All right. So the king needs a musician to come, and because he is restless, can you come play? And you have to remember, David was was promised that he would be sitting in the throne. And now he has got to go and serve the throne. And how many of you know that before God has you sit in the seat, he might call you to serve the seat? Before you are elevated to that position, God might cause you to work under that position. And you might be thinking, God, these people have no idea what you have called me to do. And God said, I called you to serve. Whether you're at the bottom or whether you're at the top, I have called you to serve. You, you will lead one day, David. In fact, I'm going to get you in the palace, but this moment right here, this assignment is going to get your foot in the palace. And so just imagine with me, David, who is serving the man who was in a seat, doesn't say anything. He could have said, who do you think you're talking to? I've been anointed to be king. Samuel prophesied over me that I would be in the throne. Who do you think you're talking to, servant of Saul? But that's not what he does. How does he respond? He's obedient. And, and that's what God sees. What he sees is a, is a man, a servant, who was willing to say, God, I will submit regardless of where I'm at. God, I will serve regardless of whether I'm elevated or not. God, I will submit to what you were asking me to do. You've heard it said before, you have to get under what God puts over you or you'll never get over what God puts under you. Because it doesn't matter the talents you have or the gifts you have, because David had the talents. It doesn't even matter the calling you have, because David had the calling. If you are not submitted to the authority in your life, how can you expect God to use you to do anything great or defeat anything in front of you? You have got to, somebody say submit. I know that's a great word that we absolutely love in church. So we just wanna sing about it and preach about it. But if you don't know how to submit to the authority in your life, whether that's your boss, whether that's your parents, whether that's your teacher, how do you expect God to use you to be an example, to be a witness, if you don't know how to submit and do the things that nobody else wants to do? But God, I know you call me to do it, and when will people know? When will they see? I, I think that's a fair question we can ask God. God, I, you've called me to do great things. I, I know you put it in me. But when will people know? I'm just here mopping all day. When will they know that I'm going to be writing their checks soon? And God said, David, oh, they'll know very soon because I'm about to bring you something big. In fact, I'm going to bring you a giant-like of an opportunity, David. So I just need you to get ready. I need you to stay faithful and just I'd be prepared because you're about to walk into a, a fear camp. You're about to walk into a population called fear. You're about to walk into a community where there's a bunch of fear. So I need you to be, listen, I'm a, I'm, I was deathly afraid of lizards growing up. And I think it's because my dad used to torture us. 
right? He used, to, he used to parade them lizards on the house if he found one. He used to put them on his ears, put them on his nose. He used to throw them in our hair. And then after one day seeing the parent trap, when the lizard goes in, I don't even want to talk about it. I was like, there is no way that I will ever conquer this fear until I had a son who found a lizard in the house. And it was my, it was my job to be the man of the house because he was afraid, I was afraid, but I had, there was something in between me becoming the man that God called me to be and the father that God called me to be, and it was that lizard. And all of a sudden, I just started, I started quoting Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. For the Lord your God is with you. And I just snatched that lizard. And then I threw it on my son. It was really funny. No, I'm just kidding. Do that. I, I snatched the lizard. And then I threw it outside. And I was like, yes. And he was like, wow, dad, let's go. You see... How many of you know that there are things that you may face in life that we have become so afraid of and they are keeping us from the promises of God? Israel had a promise and it was a land, but there were things, there were enemies, there were territories that were in between them and the promised land. Moses couldn't get there and so who was next in line? Joshua. And so Joshua got him into the promised land. But Joshua did not conquer all the territories. There was still some territory that needed to be conquered. There was still some land that needed to be possessed. We find this in Joshua chapter 13. Guess who was running the land that needed to be possessed? The Philistines. So now we get here to King Saul. Who's their greatest enemy? Who's their greatest threat? The Philistines. There was still land to be possessed. And if I was one of those guys in the army, I'd be like, yeah, you know, we've conquered them before and we beat them in battle. Um, we could just kind of hang a little bit. You know, it's not like they have some secret weapon. It's not like they have like a, a, a giant or something. Oh, they got, oh, they got a giant? Oh, they, we're going to be in some trouble. All right, go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a lot. I'm going to skip some parts because I don't believe in it. I'm just kidding. I'm going to skip some parts and then I'm going to go back to them and then we're going to teach. And I want you to notice four things. I can't believe I just said that. Please don't fire me, Dad. I believe in it all. <laughs> I'm just, it's a lot to read, and uh, well, I'm going to have you here out by 1 o'clock, okay? So um, verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pinched camp at Ephesus, Damon, between... So we should have just started in verse 2. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled... <laughs> That's, that was funny. Uh, Saul and, and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley in between them. I mean, they just set the stage for a good movie. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze, bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 170 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His, you just, just kind of visualize what you're seeing here. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. I don't even know what that is. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. I love that. There's like nine foot nine giant. He's like, you go ahead of me. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and you will serve us. And here's kind of where David enters the scene. We're going to go to verse 20. Because David's dad sends him on an assignment to go help his brothers and see how they're doing. Verse 20, it says, Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd because he was still keeping the sheep. Loaded up and set out as Jesse, his father, had directed and he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left the things with his keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. And look at verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And what does it say? And David, what? Heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from them in great fear. Now go to verse, go to verse 38, all right? We're going to jump to verse 38 because Saul catches wind of this David who is like 
I'm all about this. You know, let me, sorry, let me just keep reading verse 24, 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. But the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. That sounds like a pretty good settlement. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I love that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So Saul catches wind of what's going on. He's like, who's this man, David? Clearly this man can't do anything. But look at verse, look at verse uh, let's go to verse 38. Because Saul's like, all right, go ahead and try this. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and he tried to walk around because he was not used to them. And what did he say? I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. And so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The scene is set. The battle is about to begin. Look at verse 45. Goliath shouts a few things, but you know, we need, to be a do, we need to do a better job of just ignoring the shouts of the enemy, you know, whatever. Look at verse 40, 45, because now it's, now it's time for God to respond. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, somebody say this day. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. It's in the Bible. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The Philistine moved closer. David ran quickly toward him, reaching out his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. Stone sank in his forehead. And he fell face down to the ground. Let's breathe. Wow. What kind of faith does it take for somebody to do that type of thing? What kind of confidence does, does somebody like that have to have? Because how many of you know that there are giants, there are Goliaths today that are in between what God has promised you and where you currently are standing. And giants stand in the way, Goliaths stand in the way of what you read in the Bible and the reality of the expectations. Because I know what the Bible says, but I know that it'll never happen. I mean, come on. I know what he promises and he said to pray for, but I don't think he's gonna answer it. And so I'm just gonna stay here for, for, for a while. In fact, I'll just die with this because it's just not gonna work out. I, I, I know what... I know what faith looks like when, when, when he says, have faith like a mustard seed and tell the mountain to move. And what's the mountain going to do? Move. But I'm not seeing any mountains move. And so, so this, is, this is what's happening. Far too long we have given these, these giant-like problems, these Goliaths in our lives, the final say of what we can and can't do. And we can no longer allow them to have authority over you. We can no longer today allow them to have dominion over you. We can no longer allow them to be chained to you. Today is the day we defeat it. Or today is the day we change our perspective to say, today I'm going to start defeating it. So before we can defeat it, let me talk about how to identify it for a second, okay? Let, let me give you kind of the makeup of a Goliath in your life. Let me give you the, the, the anatomy. I want to look at three things of what a, a, a Goliath looks like, and then I want to talk about four things that we, that we notice. So what's the makeup of a, of a Goliath? A Goliath is the thing that we have been for far too long realizing it's been overwhelming us and it's been overwhelming our family. It's the problem, it's the issue that's been creating emotional instability. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. But we know they're big. It's, 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 it's an emotional Goliath. It's a financial Goliath. It's a relational Goliath. It's a career Goliath. They're big and they're affecting everything and anyone around you. You know, verse 4 says that he was 9 feet, 9 inches. So just imagine me, but a, a few inches taller. And that's how, that's, that's, how ta that's how tall Goliath is right there. You know, they're, they're, they're big. And, and as long as you allow them and give them power to stay, then they're just going to keep growing. As long as you don't address it, 
And as long as you keep walking in fear, it's just going to keep spreading. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been walking through things for 10 plus years. Some of you have been walking through things for just a few months. And it's not like it's just one day going to leave. Some of you are still being affected by the mistakes that you've made back in high school. And they're still haunting you. It's the affair you had 10 years ago that's still destroying you. It's the secret sin that only you know about that's still controlling you. It's the fear of stepping out in faith, doing something that'll be good for you and your family that's controlling you. You've been walking in so much fear. You've been walking in so much doubt. You've been walking in so much insecurity that you have forgotten what it looks like to walk by faith. You've been walking just by what you see and what you feel, not by what's inside of you. And we need to be a church that's no longer walking by sight or walking by fear, but we need to be a church that's walking by faith. Amen? So far, far too long we've been allowing these things to grow and grow and grow, and there's more bad news because it's here to stay. Because Goliaths are not only big, but they are persistent. In verse 16 it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward, every morning and evening, to take his stand. 40 days. Some of you, it's been 40 years. Some of you are hoping that just this Goliath will go away and just die. But you know why, you know why they say David grabbed five stones and not just one? It wasn't that he had little faith that he was going to miss the first time, because I would have grabbed a hundred. It was that Goliath probably had a few brothers. And that if it wasn't Goliath that was going to stay and be persistent, it was going to be one of his brothers who were going to who was going to come. And, and, and we, we have this idea that, you know what, you know what, God, I'm just going to, this problem I just can't conquer. I'll just die with it. But, but that's the problem. Because, you know, there are generational curses. There are generational addictions. But there is a generational burden of bearing a sin that is passed down to your kids that they did not need to bear because you didn't deal with it. And so some of you today, you are facing something that it wasn't it wasn't brought upon you because you stepped into something. It was just passed down from your grandfather, passed down from your parents. And God is saying today is the day you get to, you get to be the one to break it. You get to be the one to stop it. It doesn't have to get passed down to your kids. It doesn't have to get passed down to your grandkids. So don't think that this, these Goliaths in your life are just going to die when you die. Oh, they keep growing and they are persistent. But it's also frustrating because they're intimidating as well. They're big. They're persistent and they're intimidating. It says in verse 8 that Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. He was making fun of them. The Israelites, it says in verse 11 and verse 24, they were scared to death. And, and they ran in fear. Because these are what these Goliaths do. They keep making themselves known. They keep, they're not going to stop calling your cell phone. No matter how many apps you have to block them, they're going to find a way. They keep showing up in your mailbox. They're going to keep knocking at your door. You're going to notice it when you walk into your house every single day. You're going to notice it when you walk into your job every single day. It does not leave you just because you change an address or change a phone number. It does not leave you just because you've separated from one family and moved to another family. It does not leave you because you've decided to move states. It does not leave you because you decided to, ooh, all the problems in this church, I'm leaving to go next door. Guess what? If I was that pastor, I'd say, just stay over there because I don't want your problems over here. You see, they, they, they follow you and they keep intimidating you. And, and that's why we don't deal with them a lot is because we're so afraid to address it. We're so afraid to stand up against it that all we want to do is just run. In fact, we've been, we've been handicapped. We just sit in our homes. We lock our doors. We turn on some TV. We turn off the news, but we turn on some movie. We, we, we take up any drug we can to forget about it because we just don't want to address it. Now, I don't just want to discourage you today. I want to bring some encouragement to you because I do believe that there is something for us to understand, and that is what David had to defeat this Goliath you have. What David had in his arsenal is something that we have today. And if we can understand it, realize it, and start walking in it, then we're gonna find ourselves talking differently. We're gonna find ourselves walking differently. We're gonna find ourselves acting differently. We're gonna find ourselves praying differently. If we can step in to realize that what David had, in fact, I have, and no longer is it gonna overwhelm me. No longer is it gonna loom large over me. So how did he do it? Because if we can figure out how, then we can figure out how to defeat what's in front of us. Well, we all know he had a stone, but you might be partially correct, because I want to dive a little bit deeper theologically, if you would allow me to. 
I want to dive a little bit deeper into really what's taking place. Sure, he had a stone. Sure, he had a sling. But, but there's, there's, some, there's some deeper stuff there, okay? So I want, I want to talk about four things. And the first is this, if you're taking down notes, because all note takers are the strongest believers and will have the biggest houses in, in heaven. Amen. So uh, uh, number one, I want you to notice what David hears. Go back to verse 20 in 1 Samuel 17. It says, early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of his shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Who's Jesse? Well, Jesse's his father. If you look at verse 17, his father said, David, I need you to stop shepherding the sheep, and I need you to take some bread and some cheese to your brothers who were in the battle. Well, well why, is, why is David still watching sheep? Did you not know that he was appointed to be king over Israel? But now, not only was he serving and submitting to the servant of Saul, who said, I need you to come play the harp, but here David is still at home with his father, serving sheep. And now his father is saying, I need you to take some bread and take some cheese. And so he brings the bread and brings the cheese. And he, this is verse 23. And he's walking with them. And Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Now, now let's stop here for a second. Because before we can get to what David hears, we have to go and find out kind of what's stirring up in David's heart prior to this. Remember, he submitted to the servant of Saul. But now he's got his father who's commanding him to do something. And if I were David, I would be, Dad, sorry, but, uh, you know, that ain't a king's job. Sorry, Dad, but I'm too busy. Find somebody else. I'm dreaming of what my palace is going to look like. Sorry, Dad, but I'm just, I'm just, that, that ain't for me. That's peasant work. And God is preparing me. God didn't call me to be, do peasant things. God called me to do, do big things. I'm too, I'm too busy. Now, how many of you know, and I've said this before, closeness and clearness have a lot to do with each other. The, the, the closer I am to God, the more clear his voice is. Would you agree with me? The closer you are, the more clear the voice of God is. But the closer you are to God, it's not just that the voice of God is clear, but the voice of the enemy is also clear. I mean, some of you know this. You got saved, and all of a sudden you were like, I had no idea that all these people said these horrible things. I had no idea that, that there was so much sin in the world. I didn't see it. Because I was enslaved to it, but now that I am no longer enslaved to it, I now see it. It wasn't like it just poofs and all that sin was there. It was that you just became more aware. Because there is a spirit within you that is now leading you to do things, but there is also an enemy who is wanting you to do things. You start to notice it. Listen, I don't really realize when there's language in movies. You know, we're just, it's just everywhere now. And I'm not saying that I choose to be in all that everywhere, but I'll be watching shows and I don't really see the language until I have my son with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Or my dad, that's worse than my dad's there. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I've seen this movie four times. I had no, I had no idea. But as soon as you start to realize, man, the closer I am with God, the better of a relationship that I have with God, I start to hear not only the clearness of his voice, but I hear the clearness of the enemy. I start to see its tactics. I start to see its schemes. I start to recognize its voice and know that, that that's not for me. You see, if you're in the world, you don't know that. You're just, you're just kind of living in it. But if you are in Jesus, if you have Jesus within you, it's so clear. I thank God for the clearness of his voice in my life. I thank God that he has allowed me to be close to him. I thank God that I can show up to church. When I show up to church, man, I get filled. And then I go home and I'm like, man, there is a bunch of sin everywhere. Sin in my house or sin in my family. I, I just, I'm, I'm more aware of it. It wasn't that it wasn't there. I just have become more, more aware. So when you're walking in obedience, you start to notice the things that the Spirit is leading. But you also notice the things that the enemy is wanting. You know, David didn't have to listen to another word his father said. But David knew that while he was still living at his father's house. And if you're here today and you're still living at home, that's okay. Because rent is very expensive. Stay at home as long as you want. But if you're under your parents' house, you are under their authority. Amen. Amen. That's why I moved out at 21. <laughs> you are under that authority, and David knew that he had to submit to that authority. David was walking in obedience. If you're not hearing anything, if you're not noticing anything, then you might not be living how you're supposed to live. 
And that is a problem because 1 Peter 5, 8 says the devil is out to get you prowling around like a roaring lion looking who to seek and devour next. And that's why the passage says you, you got you to be alert. You got to stay sober-minded because if you're saying I'm just oblivious to all this, well, then you're right in the enemy's tactics. You're right in the enemy's traps. I mean, we, we have to tell the person next to you we got to do a little bit better. Come on, we got to do a little bit better. Listen to what James 4, verse 7 says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what did David had? What did he have? He understood submission. And it was because he understood submission that he was able to hear and differentiate what was the voice of God and what was the voice of the enemy. And it was then in that moment when he saw Goliath. He didn't even see him yet. He just heard him. He knew. But I want you to also notice what he sees. So God helped me hear the shouts and the schemes of the enemy. But what did that hearing do? Notice what David sees. Look at verse 26. All right, we're going to dive a little bit, little bit deeper into this. This might get a little bit weird. Verse 26, it says, David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this man? No, who is this uncircumcised man? You see, the problem with the army of the Israelites is they were looking above David was looking beneath, and David said, this man, has, this man has not been cut. Now, we're talking about this in church. Yeah, we are. There has to be a shift in your perspective. You have to have a spiritual perspective. You have to have eyes that see the spiritual. Because we, we, we just look at the physical. But David is looking a little bit deeper into the spiritual. And, and, and this, is, this is the difference between what David sees and what the army sees. David has a spiritual perspective of the problem. Write that down. You've got to have a spiritual perspective of the problem. Let me talk about circumcision. Circumcision was a sign that you were under, somebody say under, under the covenant God made with Abraham. It was a requirement that you were going to be um, if you were going to be under the covenant, we find this in Leviticus chapter 12, that you had to be circumcised. Now, today we live in a new covenant where, the, pre- where the, the circumcision of the heart takes precedence over the circumcision of the flesh. But then in this moment with David and Goliath, they were still under the old Levitical covenant. God made a covenant with them. God said, if you obey my law, if you obey my commands, then I will bless you and I will protect you. In fact, if you are under the covenant, you will be under the covering. So David knew something. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is not under the covenant of God? Therefore, because he was not under the covenant of God, he was not under the covering of God. You see, David was under the covenant. Therefore, David was under the covenant. Now, you can dive a little bit deeper theologically and look at the Israelites were in the covenant, but they were not always under the covenant. There's a difference between just being in it and being under it. How many of you thankful that if you believe today you are under the covenant, you are under the covering? Come on, anybody thankful that you're under the covering? And you are under what God's, God's protection, God's blessing, but you got to be you got to be faithful to it. you got to be obedient to it. It's really all about perspective. And that changed the nature of this battle with David and Goliath. It changed everything. Because he was looking through a spiritual lens. It's really all about perspective. The army made the decision to fear because of how they saw. But David made the decision to stand up because of how he saw. And if you're looking at the visible and the physical reality, then you will never see the spiritual reality. If you're only looking through the lens of the natural, you will not see through the lens of the supernatural. Come on, and there are things happening in the supernatural that we can only see by the supernatural strength of God. And so God, we've got to ask for that supernatural lens to see not just in the natural, but see things in the supernatural. You know, Tony Evans said, before the sling, before the stone, there was a shift in David's perspective. Go with me to John chapter 9 real quick, all right? We're going we're gonna to jump to the New Testament. I know we can't get away from the New Testament. We love the New Testament. Um, John chapter 9, there's just a little scenario. Let me just further this point real, real fast. Jesus is with his disciples. Look at verse 1, chapter 9, book of John. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his, or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. You see, that's looking 
through a supernatural lens, not a natural lens. The natural says, man, we're going to pray that you are healed. We're going we're to believe. Come on, we're going to anoint some oil, and we will pray that you are healed in Jesus' name. But what the supernatural sees is that maybe, maybe, just maybe, God isn't wanting to heal you because he's wanting to use your deficiency. He's wanting to use your inadequacies. He's wanting to use all that you don't have for the glory of God. I just wonder if we changed how we prayed. You know, we pray for God's will to be done, but looking through the supernatural, looking through a, through a, through a, through a spiritual lens says, maybe, the, maybe healing isn't the answer. Maybe you remaining how you are to the rest of your life is the answer because God is going to get the glory and he's going to use that deficiency for something. So disciples, you got to change how you see. You, you, we, we have the capacity to look through the natural. We don't always have the capacity to see things in the spiritual. That's why it's so important for us to rely on Jesus who can develop a greater capacity to see more in the spiritual. And as long as you look at the Goliaths in your life, the giant-like problems in your life through the natural, they will always be what you see. They will always rule over you. They will always fear you. They will always intimidate you. But when you start to ask for, for a lens that is spiritual, you will find yourselves looking at problems, looking at Goliaths, not as what they appear, but what they really are. And that changes the nature of the battle. The more I can submit to God, the greater I resist the devil. Those, those issues will no longer overwhelm me. They will, they, they will no longer rule me. But you have to change how you see. Paul even said it in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look not to what is seen, but look to what is what? Unseen. The army saw a giant and feared him. David saw an enemy who was not under the covenant. He was not under the covering. He was uncircumcised. Therefore, he did not have the protection and covering of God, but David did. And so it changed what he said. Now, it changed um, what he saw. Now look at verse, uh, let's keep going. Look at verse 34. Because I want you to notice one thing. You know, God help me, help me see. God help me see uh, differently. But what is that scene compelling David to do? Notice what he says. Notice what he says in verse 34. Because Saul hears of this confidence in this young man, David. And he, he's like, clearly this man is not fit to fight this fight. But bring him over. And somehow David convinces Saul, so go with me, look at verse 34, this is what it says. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This there it is again, this uncircumcised, he's seen through the spiritual, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Look at verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So notice what he says. What, what is he doing? He's going back to the times where the Lord was with him. He's going back to the times where the Lord saves him. He's going back to the times where the Lord freed him. He's going back to those times where he was doing what God called him to do, and an enemy would come to try and take what he had. It was a lion. David said, this might as well be a lion. It was a bear. Oh, I, I defeated a bear. This might as well be a bear. I just want you to see that what you're facing, what you might face years from now, God has been preparing you for since you were little. God has been preparing you for this moment since you were little. And, and whether you, good or bad, experiences that you've brought yourself into or experiences or problems that have been brought on you, God, how many of you believe that God is gonna use them? God is gonna use them. You, you need these. Come on, tell yourself, God, I don't wanna be in it, but I'm thankful for it because I know you're gonna use it one day. Whether you see it now or whether you see it in the future, David's no longer playing the defense but he has now moved to the offense. He says, I know what I've done, and I know what God has done for me, and God is gonna do the same thing. If he can do it then, church, come on, he's gonna do it again for me today. There's a shift not only in his perspective, but there's a shift now in his posture. Everybody is running, everybody's walking in fear, but today, I'm playing, I'm playing the offense. And we got too many believers who are doing a great job playing on defense when God has called you to play on the offense. Everybody else is trembling. 
But David goes back to the times where he could have been afraid. David says, everything I've done, every, everywhere I've been has prepared me for this moment. If he can do it for me then, then he'll do it for me now. But notice the progression which takes place. David's kind of speaking these things out loud. He's saying, you know, who's going to fight this man? And then it's like, I'll fight this man. And then it becomes, I'll fight and kill this man. I mean, there's a confidence that's all of a sudden changing. You know, it's like, wow. He, he, he hears the problem. He sees the problem. He starts to remember what God has done. That's why it's so important for us to go back, write things down, write your prayer requests down. So when God answers them 20 years from now, you can say, wow, God is good. And I'm going to keep praying. And so he does these things and he says these things. And now he's like, let's, let's kill this thing. Talk about your victories, church. Talk about the prayers answered. It edifies the believers. It increases the faith. It boosts the confidence. Even Saul was like, wow, okay. You've convinced the king of Israel. Here's my, here's my armor. David didn't need his armor. In fact, David took it all off because all he needed was his staff, his five stones, and a sling because there was a confidence in him because he knew who was in him. Let me share this. Look at verse this is verse 1 of Psalm 27. Don't flip there. Just read this. David writes it down. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I don't know if they had gum back then, but I'm pretty sure as David approached Goliath, he was Blowing a bubble gum. Because he had a confidence. I can only do the things I do because the God who's allowed me to do them. And guess what? He's going to do it again. So this Philistine army, I don't come with you with a sword. I don't come with you with a spear. I don't come with you with with a javelin. But I come with the God of armies. You've laughed and ridiculed God for so long. But I come with you with God, who you've laughed at, who is going to defeat you. I told you. You're all going to know today. Today's the day you will know who my God is. Today's the day you're going to know who the God of Jacob is. You're going to know who the God of Mary is, and you're going to know who the God of David is today. It's the same God you heard about years ago, and it's going to be the same God today. Goliath, Philistines. God, help me speak with boldness. Help me fight from the offense. Let me close with this last one. Notice what David does. He, He hears, he sees, he speaks, and now he does. And if I could just stop there, how many of you have I've often gotten to like the second one and then you've stopped? You've gotten to the third one and then you've stopped. Oh, you heard the cause. Oh, you heard the problem, but you didn't do anything about it. Maybe you heard it and you saw it, but you didn't say anything, didn't speak up. You might as well just be as guilty as those who aren't doing anything, but you're passionate about it. And here's what changes. When you decide, you know what? I've heard it. I've seen it. I've spoken about it, but now I'm going to step into it. Man, of course I'm here for the babies. But you want me to go to an abortion clinic and pray? <laughs> I don't think so. That's, that's, that's where it changes. You heard it. You saw it. We're speaking up about it. But are you willing to get on the battlefield and do something about it? And so he, here's where everything starts to change. Look at verse 48. And I'll try and rush through this. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David what? Ran. Somebody say ran. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone stank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. What a scene. Goliath's running towards David. David's running towards Goliath. Meanwhile, the rest of the army is like, I don't know about this, but uh, sure. You know, but David's like, I'm going. And Goliath's like, I'm going. Who is this little peasant? I mean, just imagine if you were in this moment, which direction would you be running? Where, Where are you running? Many of you have been running away. God, I just don't want to handle that anymore right now. I'm too, I'm too busy. God, I'm, I'm just too stressed. I can't, I can't deal with this. So I, I, it's better for me to run and hide. David said, it's not only better for me, but it's better for the people of God that I run towards the enemy, not against it. Sometimes you might be fighting a battle not just for yourself, but the people next to you. Sometimes God may call you to fight a battle for your family. You might be fighting a battle for your spouse. You're not just fighting for yourself. There's a lot more to lose. If I was the only one to lose, sometimes I would run away because I'd be okay with that because I just don't want to get dirty and I just don't want to be offended and I'd rather just take an L on that, that occasion. But when it comes to my family, when it comes to my church, 
When it comes to other people, you might just find yourself fighting a battle where not only if you lose, you lose, but everybody else loses. And so that's why it's so important when you rush that what you grab is not anything that you can bring to the table. That what you take, what you possess, isn't anything that you think is going to do the job. That what you bring to the battlefield as you run after that Goliath isn't anything. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sword. It wasn't a spear. It wasn't a, it wasn't a gun. It wasn't an army. It wasn't anything. What did he grab? He grabbed the only thing that he was familiar with. And how many of you know that God isn't going to ask you to grab anything else but what you're familiar with? Because what God is wanting to do is show you that you don't need anything else but him. You don't need any new tactics. You don't need any new uh, schemes. You, you don't need anything else. You don't need all these, all these other things. You just need what God has called you to bring. I don't need a new strategy. I don't need a new weapon. I don't need a new tactic. I'm just going to bring. God just says, just bring me. I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the God of the angel armies. Somebody showed up to church, and they were like, man, I got 66 bullets on me. And I said, security, we got to get this man out. He said, no, no, I got the Bible with 66 books in it. And I was like, that's amazing. Just don't say that next time when you show up to the church. But that's it. This is what we got to bring, 66 books in the Bible. I got 66 bullets, and I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight hell, not just for me, but for my family. I'm ready to fight hell, not just for me, but for my church. I'm ready for, to fight hell, not just for me or even this church, but for my community. Would you be willing to run towards, not, a, not away? We have so many people who have just done a great job of running away. Because we, we have these excuses that God can't use somebody like me because I, I just need more money, God. And God said, have you ever had more money? God, I just need to be, be a little bit healthier. Well, have you ever been healthier? God, I just need, I just need a, a bigger reach. Well, have you ever had a bigger reach? Is all of a sudden you're going to get what you want? You think now you're going to be used? If I give you what you want, you're going to think that that's what it was that defeated what was in front of you. But I need you to realize, David, that it's not what you can bring to the table. It wasn't even about a stone. You know, I, I had a stone when I, I preached something like this, I don't know, a long time ago. And I always had this stone with me. And I was like frantically looking for it because I was like, man, I want to bring this up. But I don't know where it's at. It's somewhere. It's in my heart. But I used to carry around a stone with me everywhere I went. And it was simply to remind myself that it wasn't anything that I had that could defeat anything in front of me. It was only God. That was it. It was only God. And if I could just, if I could just bring that, God, what, what do you want me to equip myself with? Just, just bring this. God, what do you want me to put on? Just, you're already under. Just bring this. God, what do you, what do you want me to say? You don't got to say anything. Just, just speak my name. And just, just watch what begins to happen. Watch what, when somebody with faith like that, with the boldness like that, there ain't no nine foot nine giant that's gonna stand in my way. There isn't any Goliath that's gonna stand in what God has promised me. Look at verse 51 and I'll close. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward and they shouted and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn. They were scattered, spread along the Sharan Road to Gath and to Ekron. The, the battle was over. Thank God the battle was over. Man, I know some of you are waiting for the battle to be over. Some of you are waiting for the battle to be won. But, but can, I, can I just encourage you that the battle wasn't won on the field with Goliath. The battle was won in the pasture with the sheep. When nobody was watching. When I was doing what nobody could see. When I was living a life of integrity when nobody could notice. When I was serving at the bottom where nobody else would acknowledge me, that's where, I, that's where the battle is won. It's not all of a sudden you're going to get put on a pedestal and you're going to be faced with something and all of a sudden it's like, wow. You may have that, but it's going to be in the moments where nobody's watching. It's going to be in the moments where nobody's looking. It's going to be in the moments where your faith is tested, your character is tested, your integrity is tested. It's in those, those moments of temptation where, 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 where you get victory there, and you get another little victory there, and you, and you defeat a bear there, and you defeat a lion there, and all of a sudden the Goliath is nothing to you. You see, if you didn't have any small victories, there'd be no way you could have a big victory. But it's the small ones that matter. It's the watching the sheep, submitting to God, 
It's reading my Bible, showing up to church, doing what you've called me to do, and it's winning the little battles daily. And when I can win little battles daily, God might give me a big battle to win where I can give him the glory. Amen? But, 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 it, but it starts there. The battle isn't won on the field. The battle is won in the years of praying. Man, we used to, sometimes we just condemn those who are at the top. Some of us, we just wished we were at the top. But you have no idea the years of praying. You have no idea the years of submitting. You have no idea the years of fasting that people have gone through. You have no idea that the amount of serving at people's feet, staying faithful. You have no idea. Stay at it. Stay at it. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. David, David, don't give up, David. I know you're, I know you're watching some sheep in a pasture. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stay at it. Just because you don't see any progress, don't give up. Just because you don't see any recognition yet, don't give up. God will bring you the victory. Don't get discouraged. Can I tell you the same thing that a man by the name of Jehazel told King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, 15? He said, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Amen. For the battle is not yours. How many are you thankful that the battle is not yours? Come on. The battle is God's. When everybody says, you can't do it. You say, God can. When, you, when everybody says, this is not going to work, you say, with God it can. When everybody says, that giant is just way too big, you respond with some faith that says, to God, this Goliath is in the way, big or small, it's got to go. Amen? Come on, it has got to go. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? Man, I just wonder if there's anybody today, you are facing a Goliath in your life and you are looking for a solution. You're looking for an answer. You're looking for God to move in a miraculous and supernatural way. Just know if you're a believer, you are under the covering of God and you just need to recognize that and you just need to step more into it, amen? Come on, start believing with some faith. Start believing with some faith that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and no weapon, no Goliath shall prosper because I got God, amen? Come on, can we just worship for him just a moment? Thank you, Father. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.